All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Christ Connection podcast. I'm your host, Clay Rayner. And let me go ahead and preface just a little bit about what I want this podcast to be. This is going to be an unscripted segment where I just talk a little bit about my heart behind the podcast, where I want it to go. So I do ask that you bear with me a little bit. I'm very new at this. This is my first time even doing anything quite like this. Um, but it's to my understanding that every good podcaster started off as a bad one, so please do bear with me a little bit. I want this podcast to be something that glorifies God. I want us to be able to um, listen to this podcast and, and learn biblical doctrine that can help us in our in our faith journey, that, um, that we may glorify God, that we may honor and satisfy God through the reading of His Word. And I want to do book studies, I want to do topical studies, I want to look at culture, how to apply the Word of God to modern day culture. We want to look at scripture in context and uh, look at the historical and cultural and literary context of each text before we actually even study it. I want to under, understand the uh, the events that happen historically throughout the Bible as well as biblically. This is going to be a really, really fun podcast. And I'm super, super excited for it. Um, once again, I, I pray that you would just bear with me as, as we both kind of learn together, as we all kind of learn. Um, and so I guess we'll just go ahead and jump right into our first episode. It's going to be called Episode Zero. <laughs> Every edgy podcast has to have an Episode Zero. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Luke. And again, we may take breaks to do a topical study or, um, you know, an episode based on something that's going on in our culture today. But for right now, we're going to be sticking with the gospel according to Luke. And it's going to be episode zero. It's going to be a survey of the gospel of Luke, which means that we're going to look at the context. We're going to look at the authorship. We're going to look at the dating, the historical, literary, and cultural context. And then we're going to look at how the gospel of Luke fits into the New Testament and finally, we're going to end with how it fits into the Bible as a whole. So, let's go ahead and get started. You're listening to the Christ Connection Podcast, where our mission is to bring you sound biblical doctrine for the purpose of edifying your relationship with God and with His people. I'm your host, Clay Rayner, coming to you from Lake City, Florida, and today we'll be jumping right into an exegetical study of the Gospel according to St. Luke. In today's episode, episode zero, we'll be going over a survey of Luke's Gospel with the intent of understanding the authorship, dating, and context of the book. We will finish our session today by applying our knowledge of Luke's Gospel in respect to the New Testament, as well as in respect to the Bible as a whole. May the Holy Scriptures lead us to satisfying God. Let's get started. So who is Luke exactly? Scholars can unanimously agree that Luke is the author of his own account of the gospel. Scholars unanimously agree. It's rare that biblical scholars unanimously agree on something, but there's a unanimous consensus that Luke authored his own account of the gospel. And Luke is also said to or believed to be the author of the book of Acts. Both books mention a man named Theophilus. Um, and the book of Acts mentions a first book, quoting there, a first book. And so when you read Acts chapter 1, the very first verse says, In the first book, O Theophilus, meaning that the author of Acts wrote something to this man named Theophilus before, and in Luke chapter 1, um, a man named Theophilus is named here as well. Let me go ahead and read Luke 1, that initial paragraph. And we're going to be delving into this first paragraph in the next episode when we start to study 
um, this book verse by verse, and we'll go through everything, everything I've taken notes on on this first paragraph. We'll go through all of it next week. But here's what the first paragraph of Luke says, verses 1 through 4. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, having delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, me being that first person, Luke's referring to himself, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. We see that this Theophilus character is mentioned by Luke in his own gospel and in the book of Acts. This attributes Luke as being the author of both books. Um, again, Luke is unanimously accepted as the author of his own gospel, not, unanim not unanimously accepted as the author of the book of Acts. However, it's tipped pretty well in his favor. Um, but other than just being the author of his own account of the gospel, Luke is also described by Paul in Colossians 4 verse 14 as being um, a physician who was loved by many, a beloved physician. This means that he was a doctor. So not only was he a gospel writer um, and an author, but he was also a doctor. And uh, Paul also says that he was a worker, a worker of the Christian faith, excuse me, a worker of the Christian faith. This is described in Philemon verse 24. And then we know for a fact that Luke stuck with Paul, even though many other people didn't, through Paul's missionary journey. Um, when Demas leaves Paul, Paul says that Luke alone is still with him. So Luke is very loyal. He's trusting. Paul very clearly speaks highly of him. And so we know all these things. We know he's loyal to Christ. We know he's loyal to the missionary faith or the missionary journey in the Christian faith. And we know that he's a physician and we know he's a gospel writer. But there's a couple things that we also do not know about Luke. First of all, we have no idea how old he was at the time of his writing the Gospels. We have no idea. There's no implication whatsoever. We don't know his own testimony of how he came to the Christian faith. But the scriptures imply that Paul had an influence in Luke's conversion from sinner to saint. Okay, can we confirm this? No. But it's implied. It's implied. Knowing who Luke is is going to be pretty important as we go through the gospel because we're going to see his character kind of fleshed out in his own writing. But let's look now at when the gospel of Luke was written. And for this initially, there are two trains of thought. There is a, er, there's an early date theory and a latter date theory. And the early date theory says that Luke was written before 70 AD. Uh, here's a quote from the New World Encyclopedia on this matter. It says, quote, Arguments for a pre-70 date, pre-70 AD that is, are largely bound up with the complicated arguments concerning the date of the book of Acts, with most proponents arguing for a date around 60 to 61 AD for the gospel. This incorporates the conjecture that Luke collected much of his unique material during the imprisonment of Paul in Caesarea, when Luke attended to him. Acts does not mention Paul's martyrdom, which occurred sometime in the 60s, nor the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecies concerning the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which occurred in 70 AD. A few scholars who also argue for an early date of the first epistle to Timothy believe 1 Timothy 5.18 is referencing Luke 10.7, and thus argue Luke predates Paul's death. End quote. This argument is substantial. Substantial, And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in depth with some more quotes and some scholarly articles in just a moment. But also there's an idea that Luke was written after 70 AD 
And this comes from Todd Burzon from Columbia University. He says, quote, The Gospel according to Luke, written roughly in 85 CE, that's also AD, give or take five or ten years, most likely during the reign of Roman Emperor Domitian, is known in its earliest form from extensive papyri fragments dating to the early or middle of the third century, end quote. Now, I think here Berzon may very well be referring to a copy of Luke's gospel recorded sometime in the 3rd century. However, the original copy of his text would have been recorded on a form of parchment utilizing nearly universally, or excuse me, utilized nearly universally from roughly 800 BC to 150 AD. In the 1st century, papyri did not exist. In fact, we know historically, and yes, I did look up actual scholarly articles, and I studied paper for this uh, for this survey. Never would I have thought that I would have to study paper, but I did. Um, I, I should apply for a job at Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> but um, but we, we understand that in the first century, papyri or papyrus did not exist. Papyrus is one of the earliest forms of what we know as modern day paper. But they had parchment, which is like a leathery kind of thing that you would write on. It was not very good for writing on things, and it was not very well preservable, but it's what they had. We had parchment for a very long time, and again, it was almost nearly universally used. Okay, furthermore, some have used this argument of a copy being around in the 3rd century to believe that Luke's gospel is historically inaccurate. And to this I would say that leaning to the preservation of non-indestructible material, such as parchment or papyri, to validate this sort of claim is nonsensical. I mean, there could be a multitude of reasons as to why we have so little of the original gospel copies, with the chief being the chief reason being exposure to the naturally to the natural earthly elements. Okay, some also use the latter dating of Luke to imply that Luke added in certain prophecies after the fact of their fulfillment, but I have reasons to believe the opposite. And so here's why I believe in an early date for Luke. I have a few reasons here, so just kind of bear with me as we go through this. But I believe that Luke was written before 70 AD for these four reasons. Number one, Luke and Paul were close, as previously mentioned by Paul's kind words towards Luke. The fact that Acts doesn't pay any point, doesn't at any point mention the execution of the Apostle Paul would be strange considering Paul's execution was in between 60 and 70 AD. Acts also does not mention Peter's death. But Acts knows, or the, the, the author of the book of Acts very clearly knows who the apostles were. And in fact, the very first few chapters very closely followed John and Peter. So it would be strange that the author of Acts would not mention Peter's death at all. In fact, no book of the Bible mentions Peter's death whatsoever. But Acts, following Peter and John pretty closely, you would think that there would be some kind of understanding of his death or of Paul's death, especially if Luke and Paul were indeed close. Number three, Peter and Paul both are said to have died, held by tradition, not biblical evidence, as martyrs of the Christian faith. The rumor is that they were publicly executed under the order of the Roman Empire Emperor Nero after the fire in Rome in 64 AD. And finally, number four, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all make mention of a prediction of the temple's destruction which occurred in 70 AD. Neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or Acts speak of the fulfillment of this prophecy. Though we know for historical fact that the temple was indeed destroyed by the Roman Empire. So if we use a historically based gospel like Luke, with, with strong historical evidence, and we understand very well that Luke had to have come um, by some means to 
very educated conclusions of what happened in the gospel story and in the story of Acts. Okay, we know that he did lots of extensive research. Why would he never mention the destruction of the temple being fulfilled? Unless it didn't happen yet, okay? I think all four of these things kind of point towards um, Luke and Acts both being dated and written with the initial copies before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Oh, also, by the way, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, you're, wanna, you're gonna wanna memorize 70 AD because we're gonna go back to that quite a bit in our study of it. Okay, so I'll say one last thing dating, uh, or excuse me, um, you know, regarding the dating of the book of Luke. Uh, the lack of the inclusion of these monumental events seems to suggest a much earlier date for Luke and Acts than 70 AD. In other words, if Luke was written before 70 AD, then that makes the beginning of chapter 21 a fulfilled prophecy. A fulfilled prophecy. But Luke never mentions the fulfillment of the prophecy, which I think even further validates the historical and biblical accuracy of the text. Why is this important? These are really important if you struggle with any kind of doubt. I, I know personally I've been through seasons of doubt where it's hard to believe anything. In fact, it's almost impossible to believe anything because you don't really know what to believe. And, um, it, it, you know, I've asked questions like, is the Bible even real? Can I trust the Bible? How do I know it hasn't been changed? These kinds of things. Looking into this, this really, really can help strengthen your faith, I think. It's also going to lay the groundwork for some apologetical work that we're going to be doing throughout the Gospel of Luke, which I'm super excited for. Super excited for. So now that we've talked about the dating, we can kind of go through the context of the Gospel of Luke. And this is my favorite part. We're going to spend some time talking about the cultural context, the historical context, and then the literary context. So what is the cultural context of Luke's Gospel? Well, there's three important questions that have to be asked. Number one, who was the original audience of this book? And the simple answer is Theophilus. What do we know about this Theophilus? Well, we don't know much. We know less about Theophilus than we know about Luke. I looked up his name, and in Greek it means a friend of God, or loved by God, or beloved by God. Okay, we know for a fact that he was someone of worthy stature, or excuse me, worthy stature. Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Luke refers to him as, quote, the most excellent Theophilus. I don't know about you, but I don't go around talking to, you know, my friend Adam, and I don't go and greet him saying, oh, most excellent Adam. I, I, I've done this, I've written this work for you, most excellent Adam. No, no we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. You don't go to a random person. I don't even think Luke would have referred to Paul as most excellent Paul. So in other words, in other words, this Theophilus guy, though we know nothing of him, we can certainly understand that he was, you know, very highly thought of by Luke, but we can also understand that it was the desire of St. Luke that this man, whom he held with such high esteem, hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, number two. The second question is, uh, who is the modern audience of this book? I think I asked earlier, I think I said that there are three important questions. I'm only asking two here. I'm so sorry. Question number two, who is the modern audience of the book? And I would say everyone who is able to read needs to be able to read, needs to read the Gospel of Luke. The book was written that someone would know Christ through it, and that purpose has been sustained all these years later. When you look at Luke's Gospel especially, I think even though it's, it goes you know, more historically deep 
than, or excuse me, historically deeper than the other three Gospels, I think it's crucial that anyone who can read, anyone who, you know, is a follower of Christ needs to read the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see that um, Luke focuses heavily on certain elements of Jesus's ministry that are very easy to understand. And uh, I think it's a really good book. Most people start um, their faith journey, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, when you're beginning your, your faith journey, start by reading the Gospel of John. But I would actually say start by reading the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke's Gospel is actually even easier to read, I think. Um, and it's very, very well detailed. So I think you'll get the most, um, you know, I think you'll get the, the, the best, in, in my opinion, um, the, the best view of the Gospel if you read Luke first. Nothing against John. John is my favorite gospel, but um, Luke is just going to make it really, really easy for us to understand Jesus's nature and his character. So moving on from the cultural context, let's talk about the historical context of the book. Uh, okay, so the historical context really is going to depend on the official dating of the book. Assuming based on my personal study that Luke was written before the destruction of the temple, that's what we're going to go with in this study. We're going to go with Luke being written before 70 AD. Okay, the following claims make up the historical context. Number one, likely 30 years, give or take, after the death of Jesus Christ. Likely 30 years, give or take. This gives us a large window for Luke to gain any information necessary to compile a gospel and a sequel to the gospel. Also, Luke likely did not walk with Christ, leading many to believe that Luke compiled his narratives in the form of a second-hand account from first-hand eyewitnesses. This is crucial. Two of the gospel writers, Luke and Mark, um, were not, as we know it, um, you know, first-hand accounts of the gospel. Although, it is speculated that Mark, uh, John Mark traveled with Jesus as a disciple, um, so it could be it, it, you know, it could be theorized, and it may even be able to be proven that Mark's gospel is a first-hand account, um, but we also believe that Mark was a scribe of Peter, and so we're really hearing the gospel according to Peter, but it's really according to Mark. <laughs> um, but either way, we know that Matthew and Luke were direct disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ, meaning that they, that they were first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. Luke, we do not believe, was a first-hand um, eyewitness of Jesus's ministry. Does this mean that his gospel is invalidated? The answer is no. A firm, strong no. His gospel is not invalidated. Why is it not invalidated? Because it never once contradicts the other three gospels. I'll say it again. Luke's gospel never once contradicts the other three gospels. We can't just invalidate it just because it's a secondhand account. You wouldn't look at a letter written by George Washington um, or excuse me, excuse me, let me, let me use a different example. If George Washington had one of his assistants or, or, um, or had somebody that was clerking for him write an address, and we have that copy of the address, even though, you know, George Washington himself didn't write it, somebody else wrote it, well, you, you wouldn't discredit that just because it's not a first-hand or it's not a primary source. You wouldn't discredit that. You would take that and look at it as a historical fact. And so we should do the exact same thing with Luke. No, he didn't walk with Jesus, but his gospel never contradicts the other three, and therefore it shouldn't be invalidated. Okay. Many theories can be made as to how um, this happened, how Luke gathered his information 
to create this gospel. However, we really just don't know what happened. We don't know how exactly he went about getting this information. All we know is that Luke made um, some kind of effort uh, to compile a narrative for Theophilus, and whatever means he used to accomplish that, he did it. That's all we really know. That's all we need to know. So historical context, bit number three, the early church is now in motion at this point. At this point in history, we know um, we know that the early church was in motion. At this point, the church as we know it is only as old as Jesus is transcended. So this is the beginning of the early church. Also, the Roman Empire is still at large and in control. Emperor currently Nero, nicknamed the Beast. This is what we know about the historical context regarding Luke's gospel. Um, this, is, this is kind of how we look at um, what's happening in history around this moment. Now, this is if you believe in an early date in Luke. Like I said, we're going to be wrapping this Bible study and this exegetical study of Luke's gospel around my belief that Luke wrote his gospel, or his account of the gospel, before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. If you believe otherwise, then the subject for historical context can be different. The temple would have been destroyed already. Nero could possibly still be um, the Roman emperor at the time. Um, and the early church could be um, well-established and self-sustaining at that point. But as I believe it, and in fact, I don't really know how you can not agree with this, but that's just my opinion. Just my opinion. I'm not trying to be condescending or anything. I never want to be condescending. Um, but I do believe that um, Luke's gospel was written before 70 AD. And as such, those are the um, little tidbits of historical context surrounding it. So what about the literary context? This is something that most people don't discuss in great detail because I think many people don't really deem literary context as something that's necessary to be told um, for analyzing a gospel. But I do want to touch on this because literary context tells us how we should look at Luke's gospel as a whole. And so let's start with um, let's start with the authorship again. Uh, it begins with an introduction in the first person, attributing authorship to Luke. We already talked about this before, about how Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts, they both actually begin their first paragraph, the first section of these books, writing in the first person. I am writing this to you, Theophilus. That's the first person referring to a second person. Okay, We believe this to be 100% true, as first person pronouns are used regarding the author himself. Also, this uh, the Gospel heavily leans into parables, parables at the main point of um, Christ's teachings. When you look at the Gospels as a whole, you have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all show at least some of Jesus's parables, parable being a teaching that's kind of worded um, with familiarities from the culture of that time, from the history of that time. Uh, for example, the, um, the parable of the seeds in, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, talks about different types of seeds and different types of grounds and how, um, depending on the, you know, the standpoint of the ground that the seed is tossed upon, it might grow or fertilize properly or it might be shrouded and choked out. And uh, that was important for who Jesus was talking to in that moment because they would have known about planting and they would have known about farming and harvesting at the time. There are different, um, various parables that Jesus tells about, um, 
mustard seeds and harvest seasons and he uses parables of lamps and he uses things that the culture and the people would have understood. This is what we call, whenever we study these parables, looking through the lens of the audience that Jesus was um, speaking to, we call this author intent or the writer or the author of something. They wrote something and we study what they wrote um, based on their intentions of how they were meant to be perceived. So they have this gospel heavily leans into parables um, whereas the other three, it's not that they don't teach on parables, but um, Luke's gospel leans more heavily into them. Excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of my water here. Also, although the gospel is not a biography, Luke's gospel is the closest written gospel that sheds light on a biographic narrative. What do I mean by that? Uh, when you look at John's gospel, it's written more like a memoir, I think. Uh, I tend to look at it as being a memoir, as being... Um, like a, a, a written piece of remembrance. When I look at Matthew's gospel, I look at it almost like a, not, not like a devotional, um, but like a real-time um, notated system where it's almost like it's systematically written out day by day, um, Matthew's gospel. Mark's gospel is definitely um, a, just, it's definitely just like the most narrative of the three, I think. Um, where it just goes more linear from point A to point B. Luke's gospel is very historical. It doesn't even start by talking about Jesus. Matthew's gospel starts by talking about Jesus' bloodline from um, from Abraham to, uh, to Joseph, but Luke's gospel is different. It actually starts with that disclaimer in that first paragraph. Then it begins by talking about the birth, or the, excuse me, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. And so this actually, his gospel starts by talking about dates a, quite a bit before Jesus is even born. And even then, he actually, Luke's gospel is the only one that goes into any kind of detail about Jesus' childhood, where in chapter 2, it's noted that Jesus was actually in the temple teaching religious leaders, which is interesting. No other gospel mentions this. So it's the closest thing we have to a biography, however, it's still a narrative. And so we don't call the gospels biographies because... Um, biographies are not written in the form of a narrative, at least not usually. So I would say it's the closest thing that we have to a biographic narrative, where it definitely tells of the life of Jesus Christ and his ministry, but we wouldn't really consider it a, a biography. And then finally, Luke relies on time and place as his primary source of events in the gospel. I'm going to read an excerpt, two paragraphs from uh, it's a an article, a scholarly article called "The Structure of Luke's Gospel." written by Peter Kroll. Let me pull this up real quick. I'm going to read it. It's really, really interesting. Okay. Here we are. Paragraphs three and four. I'm going to go ahead and start quoting. Quote, Matthew uses five major speeches to shape his gospel. Mark uses disciples and predictions. John uses signs and conversations. But Luke's primary mechanism for signaling literary divisions is his use of setting, especially geography. Intriguing. Paragraph 4 says, After a short preface, which is Luke 1, 1 through 4, Luke opens up with a statement of time and place, Luke 1, verse 5. Since he's presenting an, quote, orderly account in Luke 1, 3, he goes out of his way to refer to his sources and extensive research, so we ought to expect some organization. He gives many examples, starting in Luke 4, 14-15, Luke 9, 50, where Jesus is said to remain in Galilee. And so Luke, again, 
kind of shedding light on this idea of being practically a, bio, a biographic narrative, he relies heavily on um, these different locations and times. As a matter of fact, anytime Luke uses times and places, they almost, they well, not, not almost, they always match up with either John or Mark's gospel. Interesting. It's something really interesting to study when you look at the Gospel of Luke and you look at how he wrote it. It's so exponentially different than the other three. Not different in content, but different in structure. And it's really interesting. It's really edifying to see this. That's the literary context. And so now we're going to kind of start to close out this episode by talking about how Luke fits in with the New Testament and the rest of the Bible. Interestingly, it's kind of hard to think about this because it's easy to look at Luke as just being one of the other Gospels, one of four Gospels. But when you really think about it, I mean, being the most extensive and historically centered Gospel, Luke fits into the rest of the New Testament in the same way each of the other three Gospels does, by being an anchor and beacon of hope in the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, written by someone whom the Holy Spirit chose to reveal himself to the rest of the world. Also, Luke goes into great depths on the teachings, the parables, and some of the miracles performed by Jesus. And it seems in all of his research, Luke wanted us to know Christ through his teachings, parables, and miracles. Luke's gospel lays the framework for understanding that faith can be gained from God's word. Now, this is something that I want to kind of shed some light on. I, I really, really, really think that Luke's gospel is all about telling the reader that what God says is 100% authoritative. 100% authoritative. Okay, the teachings of Jesus and the parables, and in fact, like we just said, most of Luke's gospel is centered around Jesus' teachings, his words, the word of God, the logos mentioned in John chapter 1. This is the most authoritative thing. And so when you look at how it fits in the New Testament... Okay, It fits not only as the fourth of the four Gospels, but as the most historically centered Gospel, which I think kind of teaches us to look at the other epistles and the other books like Revelation and, and Acts. And we should look at these and come to these with the mindset that we need to look deeply into the richness of the Word of God. Look deeply into the richness of the Word of God and how it fits into the rest of the Bible story. Well, this is the telling of the Messiah that, I mean, had been spoken of since the prophets. This is the man that people had waited for for so long, and he's here. He's here. He came. He lived. He died. And Luke gives us a very beautiful and extensive account of everything that Jesus did in his ministry. And he begs us to use our mind to love the Lord. So I pray that we can all do that. We're going to end in a time of prayer. And then we're going to close out this episode. And I cannot wait to jump into the first four verses of Luke's gospel. We're going to have a lot of really good stuff to talk about next week. But let me go ahead and say a prayer and we'll end. And I'll see you all next week. Father, you're so good. You're so kind and loving, and I thank you for Luke's gospel. I thank you for modeling for us that it's okay to dig deep and to look at context and culture and history and to use these tools that you've blessed us with to understand your word better. I thank you for Jesus and for his teachings and his words and his miracles and that I can learn 
from all of these things and I can learn how to glorify you and to love you. And I pray that you would just help me to honor you in everything that I do. Help me to use this study as a means of getting closer to you and as a means of helping other people to get close to you as well. I pray all these things in the wonderful, glorious, beautiful, and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Christ Connection. I've been your host, Clay Rayner. I cannot wait to tune in uh, with you next week, and we'll be able to go through uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We'll see you all then. Thank you for listening to the Christ Connection podcast. I hope this episode reached you in a way pleasing for you and the Lord. Stay tuned the same time next week for the sequential installment of the series. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.